0: All right, we're pleased to be joined by Mike Morgan. He's an ESPN and SEC Network announcer. And, of course, he's been on the show before, and you, you're missing out if you are not checking out the J.C. and Morgan College Football Podcast. It's Mike and our buddy J.C. Sherbert. Mike, thank you so, so much for joining me once again. I really appreciate you.
1: Uh, I'm glad to do it, Mike. Appreciate the work that you do. Appreciate the plug on the uh, on the podcast, I think we're probably uh, reaching the same audience you are, right? SEC fans, college football fans. Uh, that's kind of our our sweet spot. And, uh, you know, this time of year, it's spring football and SEC baseball for me. But uh, uh, love talking about the same things that uh, that you and your audience do and more than happy to do it.
0: Yeah, and of course, uh, you were on the call there for the, the Kentucky Blue and White Spring game. You did a tremendous job with that. So I wanted to have you on to to talk about some Kentucky football, because it, it was a little bit unique. I mean, they they held the game. Uh, it was not even the conclusion of spring. They still had a couple practices after. And, and of course, there was uh, the snowstorm that came in. So <laughs> what was it like covering a, a, a spring game in a little bit of a blizzard there?
1: <laughs> uh, it was the most unique spring game experience I've ever had, and I've certainly called my fair share. Around the league, and I was trying to think back of the coldest I've ever been during a spring game, and I don't think anything stacks up to it. For those that, that don't know, I mean, it was literally snowing an hour before kickoff, uh, strong winds, and you know, temperatures in the 30s, uh, it, hardly spring weather. I was up talking to Tony Neely, longtime SID at Kentucky. He's been there 28 years. I said, have you ever seen anything like this? He said, no, Mike, this one's a first. So, you know, we've had a brutal winter overall throughout the South, but that was taking it to another level. It, it affected the overall, uh, fan, uh, you know, the, the, the crowd and, and kind of the, the atmosphere. I don't really think it affected the, the play on the field because once they got the snow melted, you know, it's, it's the turf and it's it's it's, playing conditions were good other than the fact that it was a little windy which quarterbacks never like uh the, the play wasn't affected too much and what i like what mark stoops did compared to what i've seen with some other spring games that i've called in the past is he he did ones versus ones two versus twos so we got to see you know the the best uh going up against the best we got to see will levis Going up against the best guys that Kentucky has to offer in the secondary and on the line, and we all know defense is very limited on a spring game. Okay, it's it's there's no exotic blitzes, it's very vanilla. You can't hit the quarterback. It's not exactly intimidating to go over the middle if you're a wide receiver. So these these things tend to always favor the offense. But I think it all starts with Will Levis. Levis is to me. I was reading a a, uh, a list. Uh, earlier this morning, and this is from a a Vegas list. So they're not doing it with bias. It's just based on odds, basically. And they were ranking the top quarterbacks in the sec one through 14. And they had will Levis number nine. I mean, and I've seen a couple of other publications that have him in that area with all due respect, that's laughable. Uh, Once you get past the Heisman trophy winner, Bryce young, who's, you know, certainly going to be at the top of that list for everybody. I don't know how many people I would put ahead of Will Levis. And I can tell you this much, talking with scouts, there's not a whole lot of people NFL scouts would put ahead of Will Levis. Will Levis has the potential to be a first-round draft pick. He's got the size, he's got the athleticism, he's got the intelligence, and he's got a year behind him where he led the team to 10 wins. So uh, to me, it all starts at quarterback for all these teams, and I think Kentucky is in as good a shape as anybody not named Alabama going into this year.
0: Well, Mike, perfect segue, because that's what I was going to ask you about. Will Levis going into year two here at Kentucky as a starting quarterback. And, you know, we, we all know these spring games. They're just exhibitions. But my man's out here diving to, for points. I, I'm sure Mark Stoops didn't care to see uh, his his starting quarterback try to dive into the end zone here. But it, I think that just goes to show his competitiveness. And you kind of already hit on it there, but do you anticipate Will Levis, who was already a good player last season, do you anticipate him making a jump in year two uh, in this Kentucky offense?
1: I do. Uh, now, look, they lose Wanda Robinson, and that's that's a huge loss, and the question is going to become you know, who, who is going to step up at wide receiver to replace those 104 receptions. But Levis himself, first he had Liam Cohen, one NFL coordinator. Now he's got Scangarello. Who comes from the 49ers and worked in, in a, a, a system that clearly is to Stoops' liking? When you sit down and talk to these guys, as we did, what they what they all love is what San Francisco and the Rams are running in the NFL. That's the offense that Mark Stoops made a decision a year ago that he wants Kentucky to look more like. We all know they can ground and pound behind the big blue wall. They've been doing that for years with great success. But at some point, you do need to be able to to, to be more elaborate in the passing game. They were that last year, not eye popping numbers. That's not what they, what Kentucky is all about, but, but they're now a threat in the, in the passing game. And they're now a threat vertically. And then, quite frankly, they just weren't in years past, very pedestrian quarterback play, very pedestrian wide receiver play. They're trying to amp that up. And Will Levis is the perfect guy to do that. Like I said, he's going to be playing on Sundays next year. Uh, he has all of that. When you sit down and talk to this kid you feel like you're talking to like a 10 year NFL veteran. He's just, he's just different in a lot of ways. So I think he makes progress this year. They've got 10 wins under his direction a year ago. And I could make the argument that this year they will be a little bit more settled in, even though it's a new coordinator, it's the same type of philosophy and the same type of uh, overall scheme with a, with different wrinkles and terminology, obviously. So I think, for me, you can make an argument Levis is the second-best quarterback in this league. Uh, With all due respect to Jefferson and Hooker and Rodgers and Richardson, uh, I think you could make a strong argument that he is the second-best quarterback in this league. And I think the way a lot of NFL scouts are looking at it, that's exactly where they have him now.
0: Hmm. And and you, you hit on the fact that we got a new offensive coordinator in Lexington, Rich Scangarello, also a new offensive line coach, Zach Yenzer. But I thought uh, Mark Stoops did a really smart thing and got two guys from the San Francisco 49ers, so they're familiar with one another. They're familiar with the system they're going to be implementing in Lexington, which is not going to be that dissimilar to what is already there. I know they got hired right before spring, so they're probably learning the players just like the players are learning them at this point in time. But what's what's the early indication on on how those two coaches are – uh, implementing back into the college system and and how the players are are implementing into their system.
1: Well, you know, Yance a Kentucky guy and and uh, has has ties to the state and and knows uh, former uh, coaches there. I mean, that that's a natural fit. Uh, that that one, like the offensive line, is is not going to uh, to miss a beat. And I think offensively, an uh, interesting story just sitting down with Scangarello. Uh, I asked him, I said, what, what did you know about Kentucky football and Will Levis before you got this job? And he said they were on the road in December, and they're sitting at the hotel. It's a Saturday night, uh, and he and a couple of other assistant coaches happened to turn on a Kentucky game. And Skangarello says, well, who, who is this Will Levis kid? And the coaches kind of gave him a little background, Transfer from Penn State, blah, 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 blah. And Skangarello, just his eyes kind of lit up like, yeah, that's an NFL quarterback. And so he's a. that's a big reason why he took the job. He wasn't just going to take the job if there wasn't somebody he could really utilize in the fashion that he wants to. So I, I don't think the, the, the coaching changes are going to get the most attention. I understand that. I, I actually think that's the that's not the biggest concern. To me, the biggest concern, again, is how do you replace Wandale Robinson? And you don't have a wide receiver on this roster that caught more than 13 balls a year ago in a Kentucky uniform. Dane Key is a freshman that they are really high on. He made some big plays in the spring game. That's who they're hoping can be, that that big outside threat that, quite frankly, they have not had at Kentucky. Wandell was more of a slot guy, a smaller wideout. Uh, but they're hoping Key can be that kind of guy. Demarcus Harris is a transfer from Virginia Tech, another guy who played well in the spring game, and another guy who – they believe can take that wide receiving core to the next level. So it's weird. They, they lose their playmaker, but they believe they're the deepest they've been at the, at the position since Mark Stoops has been there. And then the offensive line, you lose three guys who are probably going to be NFL-bound, uh, but you signed a, a five-star kid uh, in Keontae Goodwin who uh, looks like he is going to be outstanding, might start right away as a freshman. You do have the returners and Horsey and Cox, on the line. And I think the tight end room will be busy this year. So, and we already know what they can do running. I don't need to mention Rodriguez and smoke. They like to Tom McLean out of the backfield. So I think offensively, they're not going to take a step back. They might even take a step forward. The biggest concern to me overall is going to be the secondary. You lost a lot of key players from that secondary a year ago uh, I, 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 I wonder what the pass rush is going to be. You lost a great one in Pascal there. So defensively, what is Kentucky going to look like? Cause they definitely lost some key components from a year ago.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting. I was also going to ask you about the uh, Jatuan McLean, the running back. We know what we got in Chris Rodriguez. He's, he's likely going to leave Kentucky as the all-time leading rusher. So we got a stud at the running back position, but what is, this Kentucky staff think they can get out of McLean? What will his role be this fall for for the Kentucky offense?
1: Well, I think just, just kind of judging by the tea leaves and, and the conversations we had with the coaching staff, you're going to see the backs used as receivers more. We haven't seen a ton of that at Kentucky. I think the number one guy in that role will be McLean. Like Rodriguez is lower the shoulder pads between the tackles, tough runner. We know that. Smoke's got some work to do. I mean, the way the coaching staff framed it, he was kind of fifth string going into that game. Uh, he's he's got some things to make sure he's in the to do to make sure he's in the good graces of the staff for him to get more more touches. But I think McLean has a chance to be the top, maybe third down receiver, could lead the the running back core in receptions overall. But when you talk about McLean and the coaching staff, they seem to be very high on him. Hmm.
0: switching over to the defensive side of the ball you, you already hit on you know we got some questions in the secondary but what should be the strength of this Kentucky defense is this linebacking crew I mean we've got some real solid SEC players J.J. Weaver, Jaques Jones, DeAndre Square the youngster Trevin White and, and don't forget Jordan Wright what does this Kentucky staff think about this uh, outstanding linebacking core they got?
1: Well, you hit on it. That That's their strength. It, it's the linebacking core. It's not even close. I mean, you, you know what you're getting there. Uh, you, you know and you feel really good. I think J.J. Weaver's going to have a career year. And <laughs> When you when you stand next to him, he's got that NFL frame. He's 6'5". He's long. He's got to put his weight back on. He lost about 20 pounds, uh, but he's having about 5,000 calories a day, which I think we all wish we could do as part of the... Uh, you know, putting on some weight because the coaching staff tells you you need to. What a luxury that is. Uh, but but he, along with DeAndre square, I mean that that is your your bell cow defensively to get it going. Uh, that that is going to be the strength of the defense bar. None. I mentioned the concerns in the secondary, you know Carrington Valentine is certainly a guy that could could lead the way there, but they're going to have to replace a lot in that secondary. There is no question about that. Yusuf Corker is a, is a big loss overall. Uh, they just don't have a ton of guys returning. That would be a little bit of a concern for me. And, and I don't know if you replace Josh Pascal either. I mean, that guy is, is one of the top playmakers. He made so many big plays for Kentucky last year. They don't win 10 games without him. Uh, Oxendine did not play in this game, but he is going to be a key guy on the interior of that line when he is healthy. Uh, You you talk about Rodgers, you talk about Ripka, but I think Oxendine could be the guy that that leads the way uh, on the line. I think it all starts, so again, with that linebacking core you mentioned. I'd be surprised if that's not one of the better linebacking cores in this league.
0: Now, after taking in the spring game there, Mike, and talking to the coaches, what's your expectation level for Kentucky this fall? Because I know everybody's going to be picking Georgia, as they probably should with all the – the defending national champions, all the talent they got in Athens. But Georgia comes to Kentucky this fall in November. Let's hope for Kentucky's sake, it's another blizzard that probably play in in their favor. But, um, you know, know, I'm not asking you to sit here and pick Kentucky to win the East. But do you think (laughs) I'm I'm glad (laughs) if things break right? You know, it's another miracle type season for Kentucky. Could they potentially end the season in Atlanta representing the SEC East?
1: Well, look, I don't expect Georgia to be as dominating as they were a year ago. Mm -hmm. That being said, they're the team to beat, and I don't think it's even close. Uh, I've been covering this league a while, and I was trying to think the last time a team like, like Georgia, the last time a team in the East had this much separation from the rest of the pack, You know, I grew up when it was Spurrier versus Phil Fulmer, and every year it was Florida-Tennessee, and those two teams would battle it out for the Eastern Division crowd. And then, you know, more recently, uh, then then Florida had their run under Urban Meyer, and then Georgia started to climb with Mark Richt, and then South Carolina had a, had a, a window there in time under Steve Spurrier where they were a legitimate threat. But right now, I mean, it's Georgia, and then there is a gap. So if we're being honest about it, I think uh, Kentucky is under uh, great direction with Mark Stoops. Who's done a phenomenal job, another 10 win season. I mean, two 10 win seasons in a four or five year span in Lexington. That's ridiculous. Uh, he has done a, a sensational job and that's why he's been courted by so many other schools. And I think Tennessee will be improved. I think I love to hire a Billy Napier at Florida. I think Shane Beamer is doing good things in in Columbia but nobody is in the is in the area code of Georgia right now. Overall, I just don't see it. I think the West is a little bit more diversified and in teams that could actually beat Alabama and contend for the West. I think it's Georgia one, and then I think Kentucky is trying to do something that they've never done: finish second place two years in a row. You know, they last year they go five and three in the league. That's huge. You know, they they. They knock off some really good teams in a 10 win season. They win a bowl game. I think one of the things I love about Kentucky football fans is they're realistic. You know, they don't run to message boards when they don't win the uh, SEC championship every year in football and say, gosh darn it, we, we, we're underachieving. Fire Mark Stoops, fire this guy, fire that guy. That's not the way they look at it. They appreciate the fact that they are competitive now. And for a while there, that simply wasn't the case. So, georgia won and then i think there's a big battle for two i think it's kentucky i think it's tennessee i think the odds makers might actually pick tennessee uh to to finish second in that league they seem to be really high and what josh heupel is going to be able to do in year two i'm not quite there yet like i I want to see it more than one year before i'm convinced tennessee is on that big of a rise uh so for me Kentucky won 10 games last year with a minus 11 turnover margin. I've never seen anything like that. That's going to improve. Uh, I I love Levis. He's only going to improve. But I still think there are some concerns there, and I think the rest of the East is getting better. So I I, I think, you know, somewhere, anywhere between second and even fourth, you're going to have a good season, but you might not finish as high as you want. And, again, I I don't think anybody catches Georgia this year.
0: All right, last thing for you, Mike. I know you're a proud Heisman Trophy voter, so I just wanted to ask you, is there a one particular vote that was just so incredibly tough for you to to cast that ballot for number 1? Is there is there any uh, you know, vote for the Heisman Trophy that stands out in your mind like yet?
1: It's so funny, Mike. This year was going to be that. If if the 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 surprises didn't happen late with Alabama and at that point, it went from one of the most difficult votes that I was ever going to have. And I know I don't just speak for me because I I know a lot of other Heisman Trophy voters who were, were struggling with this. If If that just went a different direction and all of a sudden Bryce Young is not your, I don't want to say easy selection, but I think he clearly pulled ahead. I really had no idea who I was going to vote for. I really don't know. I mean, for a while there, there was momentum for Jordan Davis, an interior defensive lineman uh, uh, to, to, to win the award. You had Hutchinson at Michigan, who I think was number two on my ballot, if, if my memory serves, um, who certainly deserved a lot of praise. So you had two defensive players who were getting high praise, and then you had a running back, uh, you know, and then you had your usual array of quarterbacks. But you didn't have that quarterback that really stood out. It was really bizarre. So it was going to be last year, and then the, the Alabama decided to make it easy on all of us with their performance in Atlanta in the SEC championship game, and then it's like, okay, it's Bryce Young. It's 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 not even that close for for many of us. So that that's probably the most difficult. The other one would be I voted for Deshaun Watson the year I believe Derrick Henry won it. Uh, I, I think. Um, and that's one of those, if everybody could have voted after the national championship game, I think people would have sided with me and voted for Deshaun. But as we know, the vote has to come in before the playoff. And so they voted Derrick Henry. And look, there's no shame in voting Derrick Henry. He was a beast in college. He's a beast in the NFL. Uh, and maybe the only one that I'm, I feel like I'm in the minority on, but I think time uh, stood pretty well on this. I picked Christian McCaffrey the one year that he did everything at Stanford. The problem was nobody saw it because it's Pac-12. It's late at night. uh, They had a network in shambles. And so if they weren't on national TV, people didn't know Christian McCaffrey. They didn't care Christian McCaffrey, but McCaffrey had one of the most productive seasons in the history of the sport. So uh, those are the ones that stand out to me that were maybe the most uh,
0: difficult to vote on. Yeah. And you may have another difficult vote upcoming. I I know you you know, it's so far away. You're not going to be casting your ballot in the preseason, but will Anderson. I mean, he just looks like just a, a game wrecker for Alabama. I don't know if you saw the spring game there last week, they had to take him out of the ball game. Cause he was messing up huh. the game plan so much, but uh, it, it certainly sounds like the voters are, are, you know, for years and years, you wouldn't even consider a defensive player, not you specifically, but it just, just seems like the voters now they're kind of opening that back up. So, you know, do you think it's realistic that uh, Alabama's pass-rushing demon there, Will Anderson, you know, could be a Heisman Trophy winner by season's end?
1: Oh, sure. I, I, I think he's definitely on everybody's radar. Uh, I would just say this. If you're looking at it realistically, what has to happen for a defensive player to win it, I think, is there has to be a lack of a dominating season by a quarterback on a playoff contending team. And we had that last, like nobody was going to vote for Stetson Bennett. So if, if Bryce didn't have the game that he did and Stetson Bennett is, is that guy, well, he wasn't going to win the Heisman. So that opened it up for all these defensive players, but that's a rare year. More often than not, you show me the top five teams in the country and I'll show you a quarterback that's having a dominating season and he's likely going to get a lot of Heisman votes. So I, I think two things have to happen. Anderson has to go off, which we know he's more than capable of, but I think it has to be a lackluster year of quarterbacks uh, on great teams. They have to have very pedestrian numbers and, and not just eye-popping seasons in order to make voters say, you know what, i got to look at another position. That's just how I see it.
0: Well, Mike, I really appreciate all the time you've given me. I'll let you get out of here. I cannot, uh, you know, recommend you enough to – I know we got a lot of SEC baseball listeners out there. Mike does a great job calling the baseball games. But what I got my eye on, everybody knows, is that college football season. And when that rolls around, Mike will be on the call for ESPN and the SEC Network calling the best conference in college football. So, Mike – I, th- I cannot thank you enough. Oh, and don't forget to, to follow Mike at MorganOnAir on Twitter. Thank you so much for dropping so much knowledge on us. Mike, I always
1: appreciate the time, appreciate the job you do.